Welcome back to the Kenny Chester Podcast. I am your host, Kenny Chester, and today we're going to be talking about one of my favorite things on the planet, comedy and its role in society. I'm excited about it. Of course, we're going to talk about the controversy surrounding Dave Chappelle, but also a few other things. We're going to get a little philosophical. I'm excited about today's podcast. Buckle up. Let's get to work. I don't know. It seems to me that he shouldn't be saying that. Well, what is it that you want him to say? Shut him down. As we start today, I want to uh, make a note about my personal experience regarding the subject matter. This in no way qualifies me to speak as an authority. I am not a studied or educated scholar of the comedic arts. If that's even a thing, I'm sure it is. There's all kinds of things uh, in academia. Um, and I'm not saying that I am more suited to speak on this than anyone else. I'm just trying to qualify my perspective on it. You're This is the internet. You can comment on anything you choose to comment on, uh, and it's there just as much as my comments as well. Um, what, I'm, what I am saying is that I am a huge fan of comedy, and I've actually been doing comedy. It's probably been about 23 years now, you say, Chester. There's no way you're a young man. Well, I'm not as young as I used to be, but I started doing comedy uh, at the age of 15. I actually started doing comedy before the age of 15 as a part of a troupe, but when I say comedy, I mean stand-up comedy. I did my first stand-up bit when I was 15 years old. Uh, I did it for a church. I think it was a Valentine's banquet, and I was paid. So at that moment, I entered. I, I left amateur comedy and went into professional comedy because somebody was paying me to do it. Now, obviously, I am not a professional comedian by any standard of the word as far as what the world of comedy would accept. Um, I do like to write jokes and I like to make jokes. Um, and I've been doing that, uh, from my early teen years all the way up until my adult life as it is now. When the occasion arises, I'll still perform stand-up comedy. Um, I, if you hear me speak about comedy at all, you'll know that it's one of the most thrilling uh, events in my life as far as something that like a personal challenge. Obviously, you know, it cannot compare with the birth of your children or anything spiritual. But when I'm saying like in a personal, um, in a personal way, like an ex- in a personal experience where you're going out and doing something on your own, like a goal or, or like a hobby, uh, there's nothing that I find more exhilarating than standing um, with a microphone in front of a bunch of people who are, um, they have no idea what I'm about to say, and 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 you're judged instantly in that moment. That's one thing that comedy is that most people don't. I mean, I'm sure they would if they thought about it, they would they would come to this conclusion, but they probably don't. It don't enter into their mind what's happening, but it's one of the most. Um, uh, unnerving experiences because you're being judged in real time. If you write something or if you uh, make something or whatever, there's usually a delayed uh, judgment from being cast. And it might be something that over time, um, you know, might rise and fall as culture rises and falls, uh, depending on the... um, the excellence in which you do your craft, you know, that worth could be uh, judged differently later on. And there's a, there's an aspect of that with comedy, but what I'm saying is the the actual, in the moment, the laugh. That that is that is the judge. It it has nothing to do with with if it's highbrow, lowbrow. It doesn't mean if it's cerebral. I know there's a lot of different uh, uh, classifications of comedy. Um, but what I'm what I'm getting at is the the instantaneous, involuntary laugh, and that's what the comedian is after. Or that's what I'm after when I'm up on stage. And so there's nothing quite like it. Um, I wouldn't even consider it being like like preaching. And I do that as well because when when it comes to preaching, you 
you know that you have great material. You have the Bible. Hopefully, you're preaching from the Bible. And so if you crack open the Bible and you start... Um, you know, anywhere, you should be able to piece together some type of of, of challenging or faith-building or very informative, um, uh, you know, uh, speech or, you know, what we say in ministry, a sermon or a message or something like, you know, whatever you want to call it. Now, when it comes to comedy, if you're doing original comedy, um, you, you don't have that material. You don't have the proven thousands of years, you know, commentaries that's been written on it, you know, the the, the volumes that, that, that that you can go to and 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 dig out. None, when when you're doing comedy, you you you're your source material. You know, obviously you can mine it out of your life experiences. You know, those are, in my opinion, some really funny uh, comedians that do that. Um, you know, Jerry Seinfeld is one of my favorite comedians of all time. He's what they call an observational comedian. He just observes, you know, the uh, absurdity of things, of everyday things, and 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 that's something. But the fact is, when you go up there, the first time you tell a joke, you do not know if it's going to work or not. And something else that's, that's in the layer of it is one joke that might work in one crowd is not going to work on the other crowd and it could be the crowd it could be you you could have stumbled on your words you could have had the wrong cadence you could have forgot to set it up in a certain way and I've done all of those things and so I love comedy and what I what I want to talk about today is is surrounding the comedic world um, but I, I want to talk about a current event but I want to put it in the context of of culture uh, and I'm going to get a little philosophical uh, by the end of this podcast uh, but not in a way that I think would take uh, take out the point I think it's in a way that makes my point we're not I'm not trying to sound smart or wise I'm trying to get my point across of why I feel this is an issue that should be addressed and that we should um, we should talk about it more. Okay, so first the context of the conversation. If you know anything or if you're online at all over the last uh, week, week and a half, two weeks, you'll know that Dave Chappelle, who's one of the most famous and uh, highest grossing comedians in the world right now, Dave Chappelle released a special on Netflix. Now, full disclosure, I have not watched the special and I'm not recommending any of you go out and watch the special. Everybody has their own taste and you have your own stomach for what you can handle. I know that Dave Chappelle uses foul language. I know that he uses um, uh, words that are, are uh, abrasive and that will, you know, for some some people that are listening to this podcast are not going to enjoy that. And and, and I want to just again full disclosure: I have not watched this special. Um, growing up, I was the I was a huge Dave Chappelle fan. I came into church much later, although I was raised around church. I didn't get into church until I was twenty. That being said, when I was young. And I, when I say young, I mean like junior high, maybe before. There was a late night program called Conan O'Brien. Now he became more famous as my life progressed, um, but he was a nobody uh, when he first took the show. Uh, late night with Conan O'Brien on NBC, um, and I, when I say a long time ago, I'm talking about early to mid '90s. I can't remember the exact time I started watching him, but I just remember he was my favorite late night comedian. He was just so different than anything else that I had seen on TV. Well, he had a young comedian that would come on often, and his name was Dave Chappelle. Um, there was another one named Norm Macdonald that I loved on Conan O'Brien, uh, and I'll get to him uh, in, in a little bit later. Um, but as far as Dave goes, he he's t- he talked about things that I never heard on. Uh, uh, on television, he, he he was very racially charged in his uh, comedy. And as a as a young man coming from the South, what the things the jokes that he made were they resonated with me because I grew up in this this very racially charged society. Um, I'm reading a book right now that I'm going to get to later on and probably going to be a series on the podcast. Um, 
uh, that's really bringing up a lot of my old memories of growing up in the South during that time, during that mid uh, to early 90s when, when I was coming of age. Well, Chappelle on late night, you have to understand when, when you hear a comedian on late night, he's usually, especially in those days, they're usually pretty tame as far as the language goes. You're not going to hear, um, you know, any F-bombs or any really graphic or sexually explicit material. Now, there might be into windows uh, and things of that nature, but back in these days, um, you wouldn't hear any of that type of language on late night. So you would have this distorted view of of what a comedian uh, would represent. You know, he'd, I'm sure he'd clean up his act for, for television. Uh, and then, of course, what he would do on a, an economy club or in a special, or I mean a comedy club or a special, it would be far different. It would be the same type jokes, but it would be a different type of language. I didn't learn this till later in life when I was a teenager, a young teen, coming in and I, and I was always kind of the class clown in school the, the guy that made the jokes and so the people that did this for a living they were they were just they blew my mind that you could get paid to stand up there and make jokes and uh, I had this uh, I had this life goal I remember as early I think it's fourth or fifth grade that I wanted to host Saturday Night Live and be the musical guest <laughs> that was two of my passions I wanted to play music I wanted to make jokes um, and what's funny is like to, to these days I, I get to kind of do that I get to play music obviously I'm not hosting Saturday Night Live but I I do get to make jokes for, uh, you know, in front of people, uh, and I get to play music in front of people. And it's, it's, it's funny how your life can, uh, early on set a course like that. But anyway, so I would see these comedians, I wouldn't find out too much later that they, they might have more unsavory, you know, raunchy or, 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 or very explicit material because I would just see them on the, the late night spots. That's the only access that I had. There was no internet back then that I could go in YouTube. Um, there was no streaming services that uh, I didn't even have cable back then. It was just antenna television. And so there was no, you know, I didn't see a lot of that, 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 that material. And so I, I fell in love with Dave Chappelle. I fell in love with the way he, that he, his commentary on society was hilarious to me. And I even now I can go back and watch some of those clips on YouTube and you can see this, this very young, brilliant comedian, uh, offering really abiding commentary about racial relations, um, in America. It was very, very good. Um, and so uh, what what he's done now, obviously, on his in his specials and, and, and as the world has changed through how media gets out there, is that you're able to um, to use any type of language you want. A lot of that is part of the, the shows. And so I, I just, another warning, you know, be careful what kind of media that you consume. Know that um, just because, you know, somebody can be clean on television, it doesn't mean they're, they're not going to be that, you know, they're going to be that in a, on, a, on a special. So that's that's the warning. So I haven't watched this special, but I I am very familiar with Dave Chappelle's type of comedy. I've I've watched a ton of his material growing up, and and so I, I know I know the kind of jokes he's made. Not not to mention even his show. I was just a kid or a teenager when the Chappelle show was airing. I remember going home on, after school. I think it was on Wednesday nights um, after church. I'd go and watch these hilarious uh, sketches. I look back on them now. I say, Oh my lord, what was I watching? But again, I'm just 15, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old. I didn't, I wasn't in church. I didn't, you know, I, I just, I thought it was funny, especially his racially charged sketches. Again, he, he all, he had a very, um, keen insight into those relations. I thought they were really, really funny. And he knew how to, uh, satirize that. He knew, he knew how to, you know, lampoon those type, uh, engagements. And so Chappelle now is in trouble. 
not because of his racially charged um, comedy, but because he is uh, now poking fun of the trans community. And this is where it, this is what's got him in trouble in the last few um, specials, from what I understand. The things that I read and, and some of the clips that I have been able to see, uh, to watch and hear him, is that it doesn't look like he's got a lot of animosity toward you know people who are experiencing gender dysphoria, but he is he is making light and making fun of the fact that this is a very uh it's a hilarious predicament it, it and he says you can say whatever you want to say about it but it's really really funny and he compares it to race and so for, i want to use this 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 quote unquote um uh it's not really a scandal but this controversy now that's the word controversy now as a jumping off point to how we treat our comedians in society and what does that say about the society as a whole now this is where we're going to get a little philosophical but first we're going to talk about literature um if you're familiar with shakespeare you know that he's obviously he's called the bard he's probably the you know the greatest writer uh, in the history of mankind when it comes to uh dramatizations and 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 prose and and things of that nature. We're not obviously divorcing all from spiritual, the gospel writers and epistles and stuff like that. We're talking about uh, contributing to art um, and, 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 and that, uh, and things of that nature. And so uh, Shakespeare had a play called King Lear. And uh, I I think that I I want to, I want to start there and want to talk to you a little bit about the role of the fool in society. Now, King Lear, if you know anything about the play, you'll know that this man, he starts out as king and he's exalted and he's got a lot of hubris. He's arrogant. um, And he has a, uh, a hired jester, a court jester uh, that's in his servant. Now, if you're unfamiliar with uh, this medieval period, um, a jester is somebody that a rich family could hire or some nobility could hire, uh, and they would just add, you know, jokes into the Monday conversations in the king's courts. He was he was he was something like a, uh, you know, for for levity. He was he was there to uh, poke fun at the things that you shouldn't, you know, other people couldn't say. Um, so he he he's a servant in the king's uh, court, but he's also he's he's a licensed fool. What does that mean? He means that he's he's got more of a free speech license than the other servants. The other servants couldn't just say whatever they wanted to the king. They couldn't get away with it. You know, they had a strict code that they had to abide by. Um, now, that doesn't mean that the, the, the court jester or the fool in, in the, in the uh, play of King Lear will call him the fool. That doesn't mean the fool could say whatever he wanted. The fool had to cover it with humor. He had so he had to, he had to speak whatever he wanted to say, whether it was criticism of the king, whether it was some type of um, wisdom um, that he had to share, some critique of of society. He he had to bring it in under the guise of humor. So he had to smuggle in his wisdom via riddle or via joke. And so this is the archetype of the fool, of the court jester, of the king's jester, the king's clown, so to speak. He was somebody that was he he was he had the ability to make fun of the king without the consequences that a normal servant would have. And so that's the function of the fool. And this is very much like what the function of the comedian should be in a healthy society. Um, now, if you want to say a really healthy society, like what you know America has been or historically has been, is one that values free speech, that anybody could say anything without fear of repri- reprisal or consequences um, you know, by the quote-unquote the king, you know, the, those that have power. Um, but in this society— it was the special role that that uh, that apply or the special role that fulfilled by the fool, and so what he could do is criticize the king. He can make fun of sacred things, and he kinda in, in this play of uh, King Lear of uh, Shakespeare here he he serves as the king's conscience. 
And, and what we know in, in literature and in uh, history, we call this fool's wisdom. It's the fool's wisdom. It's, it's the wisdom that's brought in when the king is going off tracks. And if you are familiar with the play, if you've seen any rendition of it, there have been several uh, theatrical productions of it on Broadway. There's been several uh, movies and, and TV shows. And um, obviously, I'm sure it's recorded on audio, and, and you can just read the, the play if you want. Um, but but you'll, you'll start to understand that He's kind of serving as the king's conscience when the king is kind of going off the rails. And if you know anything about King Lear, that's kind of what King Lear does is he's descending into madness. He starts off this this grand king or this king that you know has power and respect and or he's wanting respect and love and admiration. And when he's starting to go off the rails and he's tilting toward um uh, you know, evil and and uh, malevolence and all these things that the the fool can say something to kind of bring him back in. He can criticize and make him laugh at himself. So only the fool could speak the truth in that way without fear of being beheaded. And so early on in the in the play, the fool says to King Lear, "The truth is rarely welcome." See, the the fool is aware of the danger that the dangerous game that he's playing. Um, but he knows that he has that special license to say things that other people cannot say. So what's, what's funny is like in in this play is it turns out the King is the fool and not the fool. The, 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 the person that you think is the idiot, you know, he's wearing the, whatever you call that hat, you know, with the bells on it, you always see, you know, that has like the four, the three or the four peaks on it, uh, that flop down. You would think that that's, that's the fool that's wearing that. And it turns out, no, he's actually, he's actually the wise and the king is being the fool here. This is something here that, that there's a, an exchange early on that kind of bears this out. He says, I'm a fool. He says, but you're nothing. He says, you're a, you're, you're, you're a zero with no figure before it, basically meaning there's no number before it. Like you can, there's like, you know, if zeros can be really a lot of money if there's like a three and then six other zeros around it or, you know, whatever number, but he called, he says, the King, you're, you're, you, you have no figure before you're a zero. He says, at least I'm a fool. I'm something, but you're nothing. And so what's funny about this, and I'm not trying to get into the, uh, all the psychology of the play. It's a really good play. Um, there's a lot of meanings and, 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 and applications that you can um, e- extract from and extrapolate the, the how humanity is and, and what all it says. I'm not trying to get in at the day. I'm talking about the role of the fool. And so this is what I look at and I look in comedy. I look at, and I, I was, I had a conversation, it's probably been a year or two ago with my wife. And this is, this is one of those conversations I can't have, um, with many people because they don't know my views. Uh, this is, you know, an intimate type thing. And, and I'm bringing it to you guys because I'm, I'm, I use this podcast sometimes as an exercise in thought development. I'm trying to get my thoughts around certain things. And once I think about it enough, I take it to the podcast, but does it, does it mean that my thoughts aren't fully formed? And so these conversations, these, these conversations I have with my wife, um, at, at, they're very raw at, 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 at the start, and I use it as a sounding board. I put my thoughts out there, and I'll have her, you know, push back or challenge or, you know, ask her if, you know, this is, am I thinking correctly on this? And so I feel like I've got it formed enough where I can bring it to you guys, though. But uh, at this point, and it's been like this for the last several years, where I told her, I said, you know, I feel like in our society, it's we're walking on eggshells of what we can and cannot say. I said, I feel like the comedian is the, the, comedian is the last person that can speak the truth and get away with it. And I had no idea about this, uh, this archetype. I would never, I would never even think of it in, in Shakespeare and literature. I would never even think of it, you know, in medieval uh, and even in the ancients. I know the Native Americans had um, this kind of like trickster figure. This in, in a lot of time represented as a rabbit. And I read a uh, great Malcolm Gladwell book uh, about David and Goliath uh, that had this part of the. Um, 
civil rights movement, they, they kind of took on this, the jackrabbit, uh, uh, archetype where they were, they were trying to trick people and use, use, using these, these little devices to get people to see the truth or see the error of their ways. And so I was, I was trying to flesh this out to my wife and I was like, you know, it seems like our comedians in in the American society, uh, and I'm not trying to spiritualize this. I'm not saying the preachers are not doing that job. Yes, we're speaking truth, but you know, we have fear of reprisal. We shouldn't have fear of reprisal, but obviously, you know, they've been shutting churches down. They're finding pastures. They're putting people in jail and, and, and things of that nature. And it's only going to get worse um, as time goes as as time goes on. But what I'm getting at is, when I say it's society, I mean accepted society. We're living as outcasts already. We 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 are the fringe, uh, right conservative fundamentalists. We're not accepted in the society. And so when I say the only people that can make these comments in society, I'm excluding the church because we're making it, but we're, we're marginalized. We're not in the King's court. What I'm saying is in that, 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 that elite group of people in the King's court that, that still have respect and awe and still can operate in that, that, that realm. I think that comedians are the only ones that are still able to speak truth. And that's what bothers me a lot about, and I don't even watch late night um, comedy or anything like that. I, I don't even, I don't have television or, or, or access to cable or anything like that. I, I stream some services and I, and I watch clips. But uh, from what I understand is that we're, 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 we're missing that voice right now. Uh, except from a, a few brave comedians that that when I say you know I'm sure there's more localized ones that that do it or people do it on radio but I'm talking about those that are that are the in the know they're in the circle of these people that they're they're rich they're famous and there there's consequences to their their um, comments and Dave Chappelle was one of them and he still is and and this is what I'm saying is that I I feel like that they're almost the the the, the conscience. Of of our society that's drifting further and further uh, to the edge, like we're, we're we're like teetering, you know, on 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 the suicide of the West, you know, the death of the West, and 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 we've got we've got the fool there that's trying to bring us back in. And one of the things that that everybody's upset with Dave Chappelle for saying was um, in this last special, I saw the clip where he says, "Gender is a fact. Gender is a fact." Now this is seemingly uncontroversial to anybody that knows biology and has been paying, you know, has has read cracked a history book for, you know, you know anything that covered the last I don't know 5 6000 years even before that you know that's something that we've all used to agree on that gender is a fact but he's he's they're very upset right now with him cuz he's declaring that gender is a fact but again, he still runs in those circles. He's still thought of as a, a thoughtful social justice guy when it comes to uh, civil rights issues and, and race issues. But he's he's running afoul of the um, LBGTQ community, and he's made jokes about them before. And so I guess what I'm getting at is that that we're 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 in we're in danger as a society when the fool has to leave the stage. And this brings me back to King Lear. It's about halfway through the play as the king slips further and further into madness. If you, and I don't spoiler alert if you haven't read Shakespeare, <laughs> King Lear goes mad. But you'll notice something that happens in the, in the story. The fool disappears. And there's, no, there's really no reason given to why he's gone. And you know you can you can think about it, and that's one of the brilliances uh, of of Shakespeare is that he allows for you to you know extract meaning and 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 look into things and apply what you think could be true. But a lot of people believe that the reason the fool disappears is because the king goes mad. There's no place for the man speaking truth when the king goes mad, and so. 
in our world, the king is, you know, our 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 our, our democracy. That's us. We don't we don't have a monarchy. You know, we don't we're not familiar. This is foreign to us about a king. But we think of the king as the ruler. Who's our rulers? Well, if we are the rulers, then that's us. And so, if we are going mad as a society, if we are going off the rails, and the further we drift into madness, the fool's voice disappears. And and we're shot. We're in. And there was an amazing clip yesterday. I saw this on Twitter as it happened. Of there was uh, at Netflix. The the you know they 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 staged a walkout in protest. They want Dave Chappelle. Uh, his his special to be pulled off. They've got a list of demands, which demands is hilarious. They literally said it's a list of demands, and it's usually you know something reserved for hostage situations. And that's exactly what it is. You get these woke mobs, and it's a hostage situation. Got to negotiate and meet their demands and acquiesce some way and and give them make sure. That, and they won't. They they have a list of demands. Well. If you saw a clip, there was a clip of a, and it t- turns out it was a YouTube guy, was a YouTube comedian named Vito something, I can't remember his last name, but he comes out with a sign that basically, his sign, his, his sign was, Dave is funny. I like jokes. We like Dave or something like that. Well, this mob grabbed his sign and broke it and, and started pushing him out uh, into the fringes of, of, of this space that he was on. And, and what's so dishonest about our media, and this is one, again, I feel like the fool's voice is going to disappear. Hopefully, hopefully it doesn't because it serves as a consciousness. It serves as, as, the, as the last you know, remaining voice of truth. Even if you've got to smuggle it in via humor, he's, he's, he's trying to pull people back from the brink of some absolute madness and these mad ideas. And so they're pushing this, this guy out just for saying that he liked Dave or jokes are funny. And in the clip, and it was, again, it was on Twitter. It's very raw. It was happening as it was. I watched this clip of these, pe- these people destroy this man's sign and push him out. There was this lady with a tambourine that was shaking in his face, and she was saying, repent. And then she had an expletive as a mother. And she kept repeating it. Repent, mother. Re- repent. And re- and I remember watching that thinking, oh, my Lord. Now, if you are a, a listener to the Kenny Chester podcast, you'll understand that I believe that woke is a religion and that it, it takes the the worst parts of man-made religion and, and, and codifies it and puts it into practice. Uh, you know, there's praxis when it comes to it, and they're putting it into practice. That right there, it's been a long time since I've seen something that was so uh, transparent uh, to that point is that it's religion. Why is it a religion? They're asking him to repent. What was his sin? His sin was to support. He wasn't even supporting. Um, you know, the 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 concepts that Dave was espousing. He was just saying Dave was funny, and I like Dave. So not only can you not say the things that Dave Chappelle says, you can't even support the guy that says them. And and what what are they? What is the call? It's to repent. Now another thing our shameless media did was, and I saw the AP did this yesterday, was basically straight up lie and say that this man was there spewing profanities, uh, trying to disrupt this thing. And if you watch the videos, it's the it's the opposite of what happened. He was there saying I like jokes, and they spewed profanities toward him. But apparently the Associated Press is now just uh, you know run by a bunch of liars because uh, they, they literally lied on this man. And I don't know if there's any recourse for that. So let me get back to what I'm what I'm trying to flesh out with this philosophical thing is that we're in a society that is bent on destruction. It's bent on madness. It's bent on destroying ourselves from within. And you have you have these fools. When I say fools, I'm not saying them as their intelligent levels. Dave Chappelle and these other comedians that, that are like a Norm McDonald who uh, tragically passed away. 
uh, uh, last month, you have these guys that know how to offer biting commentary that goes against the prevailing cultural quote unquote wisdom. And they offer fool's wisdom and they do it wrapped up in a riddle or they wrap it up in a joke. And so they start mocking it and watch how a society reacts to that. Watch how the people that are defending um, their belief systems, how they react to the criticism, criticism of that. Cause I, w- I want you to, uh, to, to get this and hear, hear me very well. Um, this is something that uh, a German philosopher said. I want to quote it. Uh, his name is Peter uh, Slaughterdika. And it's, it's one of those D-I-G-K or J-K. It's, it's Slovak uh, and it's hard to pronounce. But this is what he says. He wrote a book called Critique of Cynical Reason. And this is what he said about truth. How much truth is contained in something can be best determined by making it thoroughly laughable and then watching to see how much joking around it can take. For truth is a matter that can withstand mockery, that is freshened by any ironic gesture directed at it. Whatever cannot withstand satire is false. Man, that's, I'm going to say that again. How much truth is contained in something can best be determined by making it thoroughly laughable and then watching to see how much joking around it can take. For truth is a matter that can withstand mockery that is freshened by any ironic gesture directed at it. Whatever cannot withstand satire is false. Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you that truth isn't fa- fragile? That truth can take mockery? If, if you've got to protect it, if you've got to silence people that criticize it, if you've got to go after then it probably isn't truth. It probably isn't true. It's not fragile. It can take it. It can take it. Now, you can spiritualize it and say the Word of God will stand forever. It's been derided. It's been mocked. It's been made fun of. There's, there's been parodies galore. You know, it, it, any type of Western depiction of, of conservative people that believe the Bible, they are rarely depicted as anything but, um, you know, antiquated uh, morons or buffoons or racists or bigots. But the fact is that truth isn't fragile. It can take it. We, we can laugh at it. We we don't have to we don't have to run and, and, and protect it, you know, and, and keep people from from saying those things. The last reference to the fool in the play is near the end when the king is completely mad and he's in chains at this point and proclaims that my poor fool is hanged. Now there's ambiguity surrounding this because we're not sure if he's talking about the fool or he's talking about his daughter. But the fact remains that as he descended into madness, the fool is no longer heard from. And this is, in my opinion, this is the warning. It happens earlier in the play with one of the king's men has been restrained and is a great insult to the king because the king's man should not be touched in that way. And after being basically humiliated and being stripped of all his power and and, and his mental faculties, he proclaims that his fool has been hanged. His poor fool has been hanged. Whether that is his daughter Cordelia, who also serves as one of the king's consciousness because she is beloved by him, his favorite daughter, as, as he would say in early in the play, or if we're talking about the fool that served also as a as a as a conscious or a part of his conscious, pulling him back in. It doesn't matter who he's talking about there. The fact of the matter is, once you once you fall from grace, once you have descended into madness and you're there, the fool is hanged. And that's what we're, we're, this is the place we're at in society right now. They're trying to hang all our fools and we can't let them. I, I'm sorry. You know, you, you can disagree with everything that they say and they might dis, they might criticize and make fun and, and satirize religion and, and, and that's okay because it can take it. But once we silence the fool, once the fool is hanged, there's great danger for society. This has been the Kenny Chester Podcast. Thank you for listening.
to the Kenny Chester Podcast. Please consider subscribing and leaving a review. Greetings after episode listeners. Thank you for sticking sticking around for a little bonus content. Um, I didn't want to make this a whole episode, and I've been meaning to do it for about a month. Um, but I wanted to give a, uh, a just a, a brief uh, comment about Norm Macdonald, and I thought that this would be the best podcast to do it on um, because we're talking about comedy. Uh, Norm Macdonald was somebody that I grew up watching on Saturday Night Live. He was uh, just an incredible Weekend Update guy, probably my favorite of all time. And the reason was because as a young aspiring comedian, and I wanted to be so fearless that I didn't care if the joke worked or not. And I'm still working on that. There's been um, shows where I've bombed and it's part of it. You know, you got to know what works and what don't work. Um, but the, he had this cool and confident um demeanor that no matter if it bombed or not, he knew if the joke was funny or if there was parts of it that could be reworked into another joke. And I just, I wanted that type of confidence, uh, when it came to the craft of comedy. And at a couple of times I've, I've hit the mark. Sometimes I have not, uh, and I have, um, you know, acquiesce to uh, doing more of kind of a hacky type uh, joke when a when a better, more thoughtful joke could have could have worked if if I would have had the strength or the confidence or the courage to go after it. And so um, I did not realize that Norm Macdonald, nor did I think many of us realize that he was fighting cancer. Um, they said he fought it for nine years before succumbing uh, last month, and I got the news, and it's it's weird, you know, celebrity news like this doesn't really affect me much, um, you know, I, I'm obviously I'm moved when someone around me, close to me, dies, or or if it's a tragic situation when I didn't know the person, but I know this scenario, you know, whether it be a military death or or some type of uh, horrific uh, accident, you know, those those move me as well. But when it comes to like somebody famous dying, it's not I don't normally just run and be like, oh man, this is so said, you know, I think, oh, you know, pray for the family, you know, and that type of thing. But when Norm Macdonald passed away, it actually affected me a little bit. And it was curious, and I had to, uh, you know, think about it for a little bit about why, but I think a lot of it had to do with as, as how much respect and um, how much I revered him in the craft as a comedian. Um, and if anybody, uh, if you know me personally, you knew that I was always, you know, stumbling on some funny clip of Norm uh, just being hilarious. And, and he was, and he was, he was very intelligent, um, but he did not mind playing the fool as this episode if you've if you listen to the end of it you've probably listened to all the um he wouldn't mind playing the fool either and so he uh, he had a lot of passions that that uh, kind of uh, crossed uh, or uh, were adjacent to mine. He liked Russian lit, just like I like Russian lit. And I'm going to do a joke. Uh, I'm just going to re- read it. Uh, one of Norm's, one of my favorite jokes Norm ever did. Now he was known for biting social commentary. He got fired from Weekend Update because he was telling the truth about O.J. Simpson when nobody w- else wanted to talk about the truth about it. You know, he like he he's like we know this man killed these people. You know, let's talk about it as if he did. And he got fired from that because the the head of NBC at the time was close friends with O.J. Simpson and they'd ask him to stop making jokes and if you know Norm that's the worst thing to do he would just make the joke even more and be more be more Norm McDonald than he was the week before and he did and he got fired Um, and so he did have jokes and social commentary like that but that's not the joke I want to do. This joke is perfect because it is intelligent it's smart it, it shows you that but it also ends with just the silliness that is comedy. And that's one of my favorite things about it. It's, you know, it's the ability to take the serious and make it funny. And that's what Norm did with this joke.
It's called The Moth Joke, and I'm opting to read it to you rather than play it. I'm not sure exactly how algorithms work, and I don't want to be in trouble with copyright if I played a, a clip. So I'm going to read it to you. Once again, Norm MacDonald's The Moth Joke. A moth goes into a podiatrist's office, and the podiatrist says, What seems to be the problem, moth? Well, the moth says, What's the problem? Where do I begin, man? I go to work for Gregory Ilinovich, and all day long I work. Honestly, Doc. I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. I don't even know if Gregory Ilinovich knows. He only knows that he has power over me. And that seems to bring him happiness. But I don't know. I wake up in a malaise. And I walk here and there. And at night, I I sometimes wake up and turn to some old lady in my bed that's on my arm. A lady that I once loved, Doc. I don't, I don't know where to turn to. My youngest, Alexandria, she fell in the, the cold of last year. The cold took her down as it did many of us. And my other boy, and this is the hardest pill to swallow, Doc. My other boy, Gregorio Ivanilatetovich, and he struggles with this pronunciation, <laughs> which is funny. I no longer love him. As much as it pains me to say, when I look in his eyes, all I see is the same cowardice that I, that, that I catch when I take a glimpse of my own face in the mirror. If only I wasn't such a coward, then perhaps, perhaps I could bring myself to reach over to that cocked and loaded gun that lays on the bedside behind me and end this hellish facade once and for all, Doc. Sometimes I feel like a spider, even though I'm a moth, just barely hanging on to my web with an everlasting fire underneath me. I'm not feeling good. And so the doctor says, Moth, man, you're troubled. But you should be seeing a psychiatrist. Why on earth did you come here? And the moth says, because the light was on. <laughs>